evening, everyone. <laughs> that was not me. I did not hang up on you. Um, of course, I'm not sure she can hear me since she normally... Okay, there she is. There she is. Jill will be joining me tonight. Um, we've been... Um, I want to talk about something, um, but I, I should have asked in advance. Um, I want to talk about uh, my um, relationship with fandom and fan fiction um, and... Um, people's reactions to it and um yeah and all the judgy if you want um if you don't that's fine too um I didn't even it just even crossed my mind until I got on the phone where I wanted to talk about okay so I'm gonna put her on the air um but I I grew up in a very supportive household when it came to being creative um and my mom never questioned me about um, how I spent my time as far as, as writing goes. I mean, um, it didn't matter what I was writing. It was my thing, and she respected that boundary. Uh, um, and as I've, you know, as I've gotten older, she knows that I, that I write fan fiction. She doesn't read fan fiction. Um, she, she reads mostly suspense these days. She's a big, huge J.D. Robb fan. Um, and, uh, she, uh, I don't know. She doesn't make any um because she she doesn't make any difference between writing I do where I can potentially make money and writing I do for free. Um but she's kind of rare. Uh and I think those of you who have been in fandom for a while, people treat fandom, fan fiction, fan art with a certain kind of with a disdain. In a lot of ways. And I have encountered it from other writers. Um, that I had a writer in my writer group. Who. Uh, who made a. Really ugly comment. This was about six months ago. And maybe seven. Um, and. Um, she said. Well that's because you waste all your time writing fan fiction. And she has no idea what my fandom name is. But it was in a response to the fact that I told her that I hadn't signed a professional contract in about a year and a half because I just haven't been really interested in doing it. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. And I have a chronic pain condition. And I've got I recently diagnosed with diabetes. And if you know anything about chronic pain or diabetes, the last thing you need to do is add stress to your life. And I can't handle getting a check in the mail and being responsible for delivering 100K to a person in New York. I just can't handle the stress of it. So I'm, I'm not going to do that to myself. Um, but that's none of her business, you know, and, and, um, I popped off before I could help myself. And I said, how many, tell me, tell me something. How many people read your last professional work? How many copies have you sold? Um, and she said, oh, I, I don't know, maybe 15,000. And I said, my website for my fan fiction averages, Thirty to 40,000 individual visitors a month. Did that shut her up? Her mouth dropped open. I said, I regularly get between one and three million views a year. I said, frankly, I am more 
popular as a fan fiction writer and that I ever will be as a professional writer. I said, those bitches love me. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and she didn't say anything else the rest of the meeting. And the thing is, is I um, and I told her once before that I never wrote professionally for money. Um, money's nice. Money makes the world go round. I love dollars. Give me some dollars. I I appreciate dollars. But the day I sit down to write something for the sole purpose of making money, I will have considered myself a sellout. And I, it is the last thing I would do is sell out my craft. I have crafted projects, yes, on contract. I have wrote on spec, but not a single time have I ever written something solely to make money. If I had an idea and I put out a proposal for it and someone bought it, great. Great. I'll do that. Um, I've been invited into projects professionally that I turned down because, I mean, yes, you can send me a check for $5,000, but I literally had nothing to say about that topic. I, I can't. I, that's I, no. Um, I mean, you know, okay. I've been invited to an anthologies where I could get a check, yeah, but I don't have any ideas, <laughs> and I'm not going to force myself to do that. Well, I think that people put they put a value on in their own minds. Everybody does it. We all. I think I think it's almost human nature. We value the things we like. Um, and we value the things other people tell us we should like. So um, if people people put a value on having a published book, um, they put a value on what genre you publish in. Um, they put a value on what type of characters you have. They put they 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 put value on all of this stuff, and they definitely put value on 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 making money for sure. And the idea, I think a lot of people who don't write have the misconception that everybody who sells a book is making a lot of money. So there's a perception that because you've got a book in print that you're making a bunch of money. But if you sold a hundred copies of that book, you aren't making a bunch of money. And there are people who sell less than a hundred copies of their book. Even if they're not self-published, they may not sell a hundred copies of their book. Um, and so they hear fan fiction and they go, well, that doesn't hit any of my value metrics. <laughs> what right. are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your time? And I'm going, well, I'm, um, I'm engaging in my craft and my hobby and the thing I'm passionate about. What are you doing with your time and all that yarn? <laughs> <laughs> You're you not, you don't exactly eBay? have a... Yeah, you don't exactly have a booming Etsy shop. Um, what are you doing? So um, there, I think there's this funny – I think it's because of something about the tangibility of books or something. I don't know where this disconnect is in people's minds that um, that there's – that there's a that there's a, a, a value to um, I'm sorry, somebody just walked in, I got a little bit distracted. That there's a mm-hmm. that there's a value to um, to something that, that you can that somebody can buy, even if nobody wants to buy it. Um, that that has more value. And that and that your your writing needs to have value. 
tangible value. It doesn't matter what the value. And the thing is, I think the point that they're missing is the only value that matters is its value to me. Um, or, you know, to whoever the writer is. Some people do write for money, you know. Um, it is completely a well, profit yeah. thing, yeah. right? They're assessing Absolutely. the market trends. Um, There's a dude on Amazon okay. who excels at that. <laughs> yeah. Let's be real. Chuck Dingle is, is I, I admire the fuck out of him, but he is not, he, he is writing the market trend, right? He is, he is, he, something happens in the world and somebody's getting butt fucked by that thing the next day. I mean, he can crank <laughs> that thing out overnight and have the book up. So, um, that and that's billionaire why, airplane fucks me. I mean, come on now. Exactly. Pounded, um, pounded you know, by my billionaire pounded, airplane. Or pounded in the ass by the British pound or something like that. I mean, like somebody <laughs> getting fucked by their, fucked, fucked by money. That's up there. So that is not, um, that is somebody who's analyzing market trends and is cranking out the book that his people are expecting to see super quick, right? His fans are expecting to see. And it's cracky and it's fun. And I admire, I admire what he's doing. It's a completely different thing than I want to do. Um, but I, I admire his, um, I don't know, brio, I guess. I mean, there's just something about that that is so um, amusing. It's, it's very amusing. Um, it's brazen. It's um, and dry. It's in your face. It's, it's yeah, it's in your face. Uh, but I think that it's sort of like with any kind of craft, with any kind of art, with any kind of creativity, the value is what you put on it, what it means to you. Um, there are master master knitters, quilters, whatever, who never sell a single piece that they produce. They give it away, you know. Um, So it always it's just it's just it's kind of this weird this weird thing of like you're doing something invalid when you're doing fan fiction. And I think a lot of fan fiction writers get that and it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. It's, or it's also insulting and hurtful to mm-hmm. invest your something emotionally in something and to attach emotional value to it and to someone else to come along, sometimes somebody you trust, and to um, for them to shit on that. Yeah, that's basically what they're doing. <clears throat> and make you reluctant to, to share. You know, you're, you, anybody would be reluctant to talk about what they're doing. And it's sort of like... Um, you know, uh, what are you working on? Is, is it fan fiction or, or is it original fiction? Because, like, we'll leave you alone if it's original fiction, but we're going to bother you if it's fan fiction. And it's like, whoa, really? And I don't think I had a – oh, Is a, it fan um, fiction or is it a real book? Yeah, a real, a real book, exactly. Is it a real book? Um, and I had an experience, you know, fairly recently where that kind of – I noticed what I would call subtle judgment statements – um, where it's like somebody tells you they're super supportive of whatever you want to write, but then they want to know if you're writing fan fiction or something real. And they don't think they even realize the, the language they're using, how much judgment it imparts, um, or the fact that they even need to know if what you're writing is original or fan fiction. Why does it matter? 
this is my crafting time. Get out of my face kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, but the thing is, is you don't owe anybody, anybody an explanation about the things that you enjoy, Un- unless you like killing people and then you might owe the cops an explanation. I'm just saying, you know, there are limits. Um, yeah. <laughs> due to harm. <laughs> but it, it, um, can be a very frustrating experience as a romance writer i have encountered it from other writers um i remember I guess five six maybe even ten years ago sitting in um a coffee shop with a couple of other writers and um this guy sitting down who um actually he um he did he's not from our area but he settled in our area um uh he had a bestseller and it was turned into a movie it, actually a very popular movie and um for the time period and it, it's um so I don't want to get into too many details cuz that would be very identifying for my area um but um I had at the time about I don't know five or six books maybe 10 in print and um he uh we were just being introduced to each other. And I don't normally introduce people with my pen name. I just don't. It's it's not something that I feel the need to push in people's faces. Um, and um, while this man did have a bestseller, and he did he had one bestseller, and his, his book did turn into a movie, um, he hadn't written in like eight or nine years. And it only published like, two or three books total his whole life. And so um, uh, he uh, he made a comment, oh, you're a romance writer. And I said, well, oh, you're a, a one-bit wonder? <laughs> and his mouth dropped open. I said, I read your first book. I just smiled at him. And my friend, I thought she was going to fall out on the floor. She said, I cannot believe you said that to don't, don't his name. And I'm like, well, he don't got to be an asshole. So all through the he conversation, don't have to be an I asked him questions. So how many, um, you know, how often do you write? How many words a day do you write? You know, what's your, um, what's your schedule like? How do you work that? You know, best-selling New York author. <laughs> and he had, he had, you know, he, he honestly, he had never had another writer treat him like he treated everybody else. Like he was better than the rest of us because of his bestseller. Take much to get a bestseller. Dude, um, what's his name? Um, with the bunny book. He's got a bestseller right now. It's about a bunny. A gay one. Yeah, John Oliver. Donald Trump ghost had a ghost written bestseller, okay? It's not rocket science. Yeah, it's the right book at the right time. And really, is there something about, I think there's something that happens to authors who make it big on their first book. Um, it's dangerous. <laughs> if you make it, yeah. if you, I mean, just a cautionary tale to all of you out there, if you make it big on your first book, don't think that that's the way it goes. It isn't. It isn't. And 
I, I've, I've talked to authors over the years who will labor, labor over, and it's fine if this is your process. I'm not judging it, okay? But they will labor over, you know, 60,000 words for 10 years trying to make it perfect. While somebody else who's a just a romance writer, note my derision, um, has pumped out 20 books in the same time period or more. There are romance writers who put out a book a month. So um, there are some people who who are so prolific that they have to write under multiple pen names to keep from saturating their own audience. So, you know, I mean, how can that person who, who in their mind spent 10 years crafting the perfect novel judge the person who is writing every day? Um, You know, if if that's your process, if you you need to spend 10 years laboring over one novel-length work, that's fine. Do your thing. Um, But I find a lot of times um, the person I knew who did that with spent 10 years on one book, most of their time was not spent writing periods of agony over it and then avoid the book for months on end. And avoiding your book is not really writing. So, you know, but whatever, if that's the what it took to get the book out that he was happy with, then that's the book just to get it out. Um, but t- there is a judgy thing that happens. I think every romance writer probably has experienced it of, oh, you write romance. And the nonfiction writers judge the fiction writers. And it's like there's this kind of people have determined in their own mind the hierarchy of what is interesting and what has value. And, you know, erotic is just kind of, it, it came out of the closet a while ago, you know, as, as like erotic content, like we can legitimately talk about it. Um, but it's still kind of like, oh, you write erotica? Oh, that's worse than romance. <laughs> you can almost see that expression on their face. It's like, okay, dude, <laughs> what is the matter with you? Um, it's like, oh, you know, oh, really? Was, yeah, sure do. Just signed my fifth contract. How many contracts do you have? Exactly. Um, a lot of times people who do labor over that one novel, they are they really struggle when it doesn't get accepted. Um, rejection is so difficult because they in their mind they've made it perfect and they've had friends and family blowing sunshine up their ass for 10 years about this story. And then they submit it and they get a rejection. And it, well, it must be something's wrong with the publisher. You know, I mean, that's kind of the way it goes. Um, even really good books get rejected. So it's not a reflection necessarily on the book, but they, the longer, I think we all are protective of our word babies. and Nobody wants to be rejected. But I think the investment is really high when you've spent 10 years um, agonizing over it and, you know, torturing your friends and family with it. If I spent something, um, if I spent 10 years on a novel, I'd never want to read it again as long as I lived. Ever. But getting me to edit it, I would, I would not know. You have to have somebody else edit that. I can't, I can't look at it anymore. I'm done. I just can't. But I do know a lady who spent um, five years working on a single project, um, and when it got rejected, she stopped writing. She sent it to five publishers. It was rejected by all five, and then she quit writing. I don't think I called her that. That's not. I tried to talk to her about it. She said that um, 
all those years she'd spent writing and being part of my writing group, I'd given her false hope and um, made her feel like that it was um, something that um, was doable and possible and that she could get published and she blamed me. And I'm like, dude, when did I ever tell you that getting published was easy? When? Never. No, who ever said, anybody who ever said that fucking lied. Now, granted, I didn't suffer any kind of agony over being published. I was published pretty easily. Um, I, uh, I'm going to say something a little ugly here, and and I don't mean it to be, I'm, I'm not trying to, this, this is not, this is a little bit of ego. Okay. Sometimes you can look at a writer's work and you can say, they got it. Whatever that it is, they've got it. They are super entertaining. They are engaging and captivating. I can objectively look at my work and see that it's very marketable. I've got it. Whatever that it is. Some people don't. Some people don't. Some people don't. But the thing is, there are writers, and then there are the people who aspire to write the great American novel. And it's not exactly mm-hmm. the same thing. Because a lot of people's supposed dream is to write the great American novel or write their memoirs. So it is a lot of people's dream to write a book. It's not a lot of people's dream to be a writer. And it's completely different. And I tend to think somebody who produces one book doesn't deal well with the rejection and then fucks off is not, they wrote, but their dream was not to be a writer. Their dream was to write a book um, that was published and beloved. And that's not the same thing as dreaming to be a writer. You know what I mean? Well, the thing is, is writers are born, they're not made. Right. It's like dreaming. You can teach somebody grammar and craft. Go ahead. I say, well, it's like dreaming to, to run a successful company, but not dreaming about what the product is that you are going to invent, create, provide, whatever that gets you a successful company. Um, one is, you know, a a, life, a lifetime of work in your chosen field, and the other is just this nebulous dream of owning a successful company. And I think sometimes the great American novel dream is a lot the same, is I really want to write a book. Well, have you ever written anything, a short story? No, but I really want to write a book. How do you know? A lot of people have that dream. And I think the reality of it is, okay, maybe I don't want to be a writer. Um, and that's what I tend to think is happening with people who labor over one novel and then get so traumatized by the whole experience of trying to get it published and are really devastated by the rejection that they just fuck off of it and never write again. It, there is a there is a disconnect between um, between uh, being a writer and being someone who wants to tell their story. Mm-hmm. 
I don't have a story to tell. I have hundreds of stories to tell. Like once my husband asked me if he was watching me right, and I had no idea he was watching me. We used, we used to share office space um, for the betterment of our marriage. We 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 stopped that. Um, <laughs> but um, he's watching me, and I take my headphones off, and I'm kind of doing a little stretch, and I'm going to get up and get me some tea. And he said, where does it come from? And I'm like, what? He goes, well, just where does it where does it come from? I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> I have it's no idea. Mine. I was. It was born with it. It's just mine. I can't tell you. It's. Well, we got a discussion about what you do. You know, what do you do with your head when you're not talking? You know, what do you do with your brain? Um, how do you engage yourself? You know, when you're driving or when you're doing something, you know, kind of mindless. What do you think about? Um, and I plot books in my head. Mhm. Oddly enough, people who aren't writers don't do that. I don't know what they do with their time, their their mental time. It it bothers me a lot. Yeah, I've even asked people, so what do you think about? Oh, stuff. Like like what? Like what? What like stuff in your checkbook? I mean I mean like don't doesn't don't you run out of minutia really quickly? I do. <laughs> I, I I get through my to-do list like in a snap. And then I'm ready for something else, like a story. Um, but I guess other people, I don't know what to do. Do they think about sports? I don't know. They can't tell me. Sports, religion, TV shows. I, I, I don't, I don't know what they do with their brains, and it bothers me a lot. I because I have been telling stories to myself in my head since I was a little kid. Maybe I have a mental disorder. I don't know. Maybe all writers do, but. I don't understand what these people are doing with their brains, and it bothers me a lot. They're wasting their brains. They could be doing awesome stuff with it, but they're not. They're just anxiety cucumbers or something. I don't know. Well, I I made the um, – when I was younger and naive, more naive, I made the proclamation to one of my friends that anybody could be a writer because I, at that time I was still naive, and I thought that anybody could do anything. And um, – I don't know why they say that to kids because it's patently not true. Um, I popped out of the womb practically nearsighted. There was no way I was going to be a pilot. You know, it just wasn't going to (laughs) happen. So um, you just don't tell kids you can do anything because it just ain't true. Some things were just not geared for physically or for whatever reason. It just ain't going to happen. But I had this um, notion that there was a story in everybody that needed to be told. And so I, I kind of prodded and prompted her about, about what story was in her to tell. And it was nonsense. <laughs> I was immediately stuck on, well, but you've got some continuity errors just right off the jump. And what she's like was all confused about, because to her, this was like the, her great idea that she'd always had. And it made no sense. And I was like, huh, Okay. Maybe not everybody has a story to tell. I don't know. <laughs> it was so maybe strange. Maybe they do. I was tra- but it's a terrible story that we don't want to actually listen to. Right. So it it was, but it was it was just so weird because I thought for sure I could tease out the story that she just she had in there, and um, <laughs> she starts telling me this. 
this kind of nonsense story. It was it was just a step above of what you might make up for a kid on the fly. Um, and I was like, but how's this and how that? And, and she's like, well, I didn't work those kinds of things out. I'm like, hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. How about sports? <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I don't, um, yeah, so I don't know what people do with their brains, and it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like to think about it. But, yeah, they are like anxiety cucumbers. It's just, you know, there's nothing in there. Nothing in there, and it bothers me a lot. I don't even know. I, mean, I don't even you, know. You don't have to. You don't have to write the story, but I. I just assume most people have a story that there's some fantasy or daydream or something that occupies their time. Apparently um, not. That really, it is troublesome because that's a lot of dead air, and I struggle with that. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm like, dude, really? It, it, it's. 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 It so is it really like an makes me deeply uncomfortable? It it it's like I don't know what you guys do with your brains, and it bothers me a lot. <laughs> I just I can't think about it much because I'm like, dudes, really, you're just wasting your mental power. Let's put it to use. Yeah. Honestly, honestly, something dark just said in the chat room is that she gets ideas while she's cleaning. Um, actually, I think there's something about boring monotonous things that leave your brain i get more creative um when i'm showering when i'm driving when i'm cleaning house you know doing the dishes i get ideas because it's like part only a tiny bit of your brain is engaged and more of my brain wants to be engaged and so it just starts spitting out ideas um, whereas if I'm sitting down concentrating ideas i don't know there's something about that slightly that slightly broken focus that allows me to be more creative than just sitting, conceptually creative than just sitting down and trying to come up with an idea. So sometimes, like, if I'm having really stuck on something, trying to come up with an idea on, on a piece of something or I have a block, I'm sorting out a problem, I'll go take a shower, and it's like, aha! Ta-da! There's my solution. <laughs> I got the solution the to a problem once. Well, I got the solution to a problem once in an MRI tube. Um like really, literally, right in the middle of this loud, obnoxious cacophony of crap going on in my brain, I went, "Oh, I got it! I solved it!" And how am I going to write it down? <laughs> I can't move. Actually, I think I was actually having an MRI of my brain. So, um, I don't know. There's an MRI floating around out there of me having an intensely creative moment. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how that looked. Too bad it's not a pet scan. But, yeah, there is something about the experience of being, um, especially if you're going to land in the romance genre, fan fiction, um, where you're going to deal with judgment and criticism. It's like it, it almost is like everybody needs to have somebody lower on the totem pole than them. I, I don't get it. Um, so they just feel the need to judge you because you're not writing science fiction or you're not writing fantasy or if you are writing fantasy because let's be real shifters are fantasy you're not writing high fantasy or if you're, you're writing, writing real fantasy oh you're you're writing um genre fiction oh 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 how terrible oh yes oh it's like it's so tragic 
Yeah. I actually like to write things to write things people will want to read. Go me. Yeah. I, I read to be entertained. I, I know there are a lot of people who read. I have There are times in my life where my reading has been fo- focused beyond. I mean, I read a lot of stuff. I read the news, all that. But there were times in my life when I was more interested in biographies and historical, you know, historical books and that kind of thing. But the bulk of my reading has always been entertainment reading. Now, I know some people find um, history books and biographies and that kind of stuff entertaining. It's not what I find entertaining. I find it interesting at times, but I don't typically find it entertaining. So, um, as I will do, um, my my dad, my stepdad finds um, uh, historical um, history books and um, um, biographies and biopics. He finds them fascinating, um, very entertaining for him. Doesn't do anything for me on the entertainment front. So I write what I like to read. Uh, because I want to be entertained by my own craft. Um, what I would but say it's, it's, is you don't owe anybody an explanation. And no. they ask, oh, what are you writing? None of your business. Is a perfectly legitimate response. It's private, yeah. and I had no desire to share that information with you. What are you reading? I don't want to talk about it. You're not required to open yourself up to other people's judgment. Yeah. Although you will, if you do publish, you will be open to their judgment whether you like it or not because they're going to go, oh, you wrote a romance book. Or, oh, you wrote you wrote a gay romance book. And they'll have, they'll have something to say. People will have something to say about it. Um, I think the hard, one of the harder parts is getting to the point where you realize you don't have to listen just because they have something to say? It, you know, I admitted have... to this in the past that I had um, uh, wrote in college that I wrote uh, letters to Penthouse or and various other um, porn magazines for money. Um, the first time I, I mean... I, all of them were entertaining to me, and I enjoyed it, and I got paid by the word. And when I stopped enjoying it, when I stopped enjoying it, I just stopped sending them stuff. It, it wasn't like um, the money was incidental. I mean, I used the money, obviously, um, but uh, I wrote it because I was entertained, and it was it was something that I really enjoyed doing, and they paid me by the word. <laughs> and I was like, well, wait. I can write these filthy little porn stories and send them someplace and they'll send me money. <laughs> Sign me up. But they never gave me I was on what to write or what I was required to say. I mean, there was a word requirement, like a, a length requirement, but that was it. Um, they, they would either buy it or not. And um, yeah, sure, there were projects that they rejected and it didn't bother me at all. I just passed it out to my friends. <laughs> they didn't want this one here, have it. <laughs> Enjoy. But when my aunt, when my aunt Busybody found out that I was writing for porno magazines, and that's how she said it, porno magazines, she tried to shame me at Thanksgiving. 
And she asked my mama, did you know that she's been writing pornos? My mom was like, she told me about it. I haven't read any of it. How do you know about it? And she's like, well, I heard from her son had told her. Um, And I was like, how does he know? I'm going to, I told him because he was doing the same damn thing. Um, (gasps) (gasps) And I was she was judging you? Yeah, but he didn't, she didn't know that he was doing it too. Um, he just told on me, not on himself. He's not a dumbass. Um, I know, right? And I was like, I'm an adult. And she was, what? I said, I am an adult. I pay my own bills. I am an adult. Which means if you've got a problem with me or what I'm doing, you don't talk to my mother. You talk to me. Well, I don't like you. I don't care. Care. If you like it or not. I'm not ever going to care if you like what I do or not. I was 19. And she was like, I can't believe your mother. I said, you leave my mother out of this or I'm going to punch you in the mouth. You're not so old that we won't scrap in this room right now. She was like 42 or 43. I whooped her ass. Because she is so judgy. She still is judgy, but she knows. And I told her about three years ago, I said, look, old lady, none of your kids like you. All you've got is me and my sister care of you. And I get to pick your old folks home. If you don't stop being mean to me, you're going to be put in the worst one I can find. (laughs) I wouldn't really do that to her. (laughs) But she believes I will. (laughs) But, yeah, I threatened to whoop her ass. a good threat. (laughs) I was like, what? No. I'm grown. I'm an adult. <laughs> that's how that's going to play. But she also had a problem with my boyfriend at the time, who was not white. And um, she thought that was inappropriate. And every time she brought that up, I just shot at the bird. Every time she brought it up. And she brought it up once when I wasn't there. And my sister pitched a piece of cornbread <laughs> across the table. It got her right in the face. I would have paid anything, anything to see that. But my aunt made the mistake of saying the N-word, and my sister flicked that that <gasps> uh, very a very large piece of cornbread across the table and hit her in the face. Good for your sister. And she said, would, would you like to say that again? And she picked up her fork. <laughs> my aunt was like, nope. But the lobbing of the cornbread is an urban legend in my family now. It is, like, ridiculous. <laughs> Are you going to throw some cornbread at me now? Probably. <laughs> Are you going to say something highly inappropriate? I'm going to throw the cornbread and the iron steel that it was made in at you. <laughs> but, yeah. My sister, see, I was 20, so my sister was 16. <laughs> it's the cornbread response. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, every time my sister makes cornbread, she gets all giggly and she'll post a picture of it on Facebook. <laughs> it'll be a picture of, it'll be a picture of an iron skillet full of cornbread with no caption or anything on her Facebook. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, the thing is, people people get to they can judge all they want. They just don't. I I just don't have to listen to it. I don't have to listen to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, the funny thing. The funny thing about the thing about the funny thing about judging. Um, the judging the genres that writers write in, whatever that genre may be, um, is that odds are, let's say somebody writes as a science fiction writer and they're judging the fuck out of the romance writers. There's an, a very good chance that a large percentage of the books that that science fiction author has sold have been sold to people who also read romance novels, which means they're judging the fuck out of their own readers. Because very few and people also read in judging one themselves. Genre. Yeah. Because have you ever read a science fiction novel that didn't have a romantic pairing? Yeah, it's rare, but it does happen. I actually found it yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's very rare. Boring. Yeah, because it, it basically there has to be some sort of relationship dynamic involved. I and mean, I did read one science fiction novel. Well, you ever read a good science fiction novel that didn't have some kind of interpersonal well yeah I did there was there was um, one of my favorite science fiction series the main character didn't get paired up for like I want to say seven or eight books Um, but there were all people around him it almost became like a theme that somebody else in the book was going to find love and he wasn't Um, and then when he finally does find love it's in the most absurd way possible um, and it's it's beautiful, but I almost I almost want I, it kind of almost makes you think that the that the the author crafted it that way, that he has such a hard time <laughs> staying with relationships, and that everybody around him kind of settles into relationships that he never does. But anyway, but for the most part, ones that have no romantic element in them at all um, are rare, and they tend to be, in my opinion, kind of dull. I love, I really like science fiction. I don't read as much science fiction as I read um, like paranormal or um, romance. So, um, and a lot of times the reason I don't read science fiction is because it can get a little bit too wrapped up in its own world building, and it can get a little tedious to me um especially if they're know. really hardcore into their science yeah look dude i really appreciate the fact that you researched light faster than light travel but come on now yeah this is a, that's the case of where it, and you see writers in all genres do that it's like if they researched it they want you to know that they know and they will use lots of terminology and have lots of information in the story that does not need to be there, um, thinking that it does. And it really is to show that they know what they're talking about, and it, it basically doesn't move the plot forward. Um, Look, there was a story once where there was, there was an, actually an author note. This is fan fiction. There's an author note about apologizing for kind of how pedantic ahead of time the chapter was, but that you really needed to know this stuff to understand the climax in the story. So I carefully read this really pedantic material thinking it was going to be important. It wasn't. It, w- it wasn't important at all. Um, I sort of wanted to correct their, not give them criticism on the story, but correct their assumption that any of that was important. But that, I guess that would have been sort of um, uh, 
So don't get me wrong yeah. when I say this, but I love I love Gina Yule. But halfway through Bama Tundras, I'm thinking to myself, Gene, Gene, I don't need to know how they act. Oh, God, okay, okay. They use pee to cure leather. I get it. I get it. Who cares? I don't need to see Aelia peeing in the bucket for six months. Yeah, it becomes a to-do, you know, it becomes a, it becomes a class, so I feel like I'm being schooled. Um, anytime but I feel like somebody's Jean, moved from fiction into teaching, I don't want to read it. You know how to make Jean, soap, I that's could, true. I could make soap, I could, I could hunt and gut, theoretically, and cure my own hides. I know about Only if I could find and urine and using the brains. Did you know that most animals have enough brains to cure their own hides? I'm kind of traumatized by that fact. I'm just saying. So, I, you know, Gino, you'll taught me a lot. But I really would have actually really enjoyed some more caveman sex. <laughs> there you go. More story. I mean, I need, I'm, I'm going to need some story to, to justify all of that exposition. Um, and a good ending, Gene. For fuck's sake. A good ending. I mean, I, I never, even as a kid, I never liked detail that to me wasn't important. Everybody has a different threshold for what is important. I'm really good at skimming through highly detailed passages that other people would just have an orgasm over. I mean, they would just like come at the descriptions of the grass and I'm just like, all I needed to know is that it's grass. And actually if the grass is not magical, I don't care about it either. Um, Look, unless it's you know, purple, like, it's just grass. It's, yeah, it's just grass. So some people, people like different things. Um, and that's why there, that's why there's not just one book. That's why there's not just one genre. That's why there's not just one writing style. Um, so I've always been that person who doesn't like a lot of frivolous detail. I don't want um, every outfit in the story described. I don't want every room that someone enters described. I don't want every town described. It, to me, I'm, I, if it's not central to the plot, I don't like a lot of scenery and description. Um, some broad brushstrokes is great. Let, I'll let my mind fill in the rest you may now move on. That's kind of been me as a reader since I was a kid. Um, but and, also, if you're going to do that, keep track of your own details. Yes, please do. If you're going to tell me all the shit that Harry bought on his um, shopping trip, don't add shit that you didn't add to your list later. And act like he bought That's it right. because he didn't buy it. Did you tell me about all his pants <laughs> and his tin shirt, too purple? He did not have <laughs> he did not have dress robes, damn it! And that trunk didn't have that charm on it in that long ass list of charms that we had to read about. <laughs> also, some things some things are better being told when they're relevant. Truthfully. Like, you know, rattling off a list of charms on a trunk or on a bag or whatever um, is just detail if it's not important at that time. It's, you know, when it's important is when it's – because the reader will remember it better 
if there's context to this detail as opposed to just a list of shit amongst a shopping list amongst in a shopping scene that's gone on for 5,000 words where there's lists of potion ingredients and lists of clothing items and lists of charms on trunks. And I mean, it goes on and on and on. And none of those details are important contextually at that time. And then the writer expects the reader to remember something that was mentioned in the shopping trip 180,000 words ago in a flood of detail that wasn't important at the time. So that's just bad. That's just actually bad craft. But keep track of your details. If you're going to throw them out there, don't change streams later. Because someone will notice. You killed this character twice, and I am going to resurrect them and kill them four more times just for you. I killed somebody twice. And someone someone immediately pointed it out, even though it was on rough trade. Um, But I would would just, if they pointed out that I killed somebody twice, I would turn around, make Harry Potter a necromancer, and have him raising people from the dead, left, right, and center, and killing them again. There we go. Everybody's dying twice. I did have an idea once where he resurrects Dumbledore to have a conversation with him. And, and mostly just terribly. killing really painfully. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Kill the same character four times in the story. Because <laughs> oh. you know the prophecy is inaccurate. Huh? One must die at the hand of the other. Voldemort killed himself. Yeah. The prophecy was kind of nonsense. I always figured the prophecy was sort of fulfilled the first time around. Um, But what I've talked about is that one of the things about Harry Potter that is both a delight and a torment is it is rife with plot holes. There's all kinds of things we can reinterpret and spin and things we've got to fix, want to fix. We want to fix them. We want to do something. We want to plug that hole, make sense of it, whatever. Spawned millions of fanfics, quite literally. Probably the biggest fandom that has ever been and will ever be. It is huge. It's a huge fandom. I'm trying to think of uh, a way to make that work, to make the pro- to make the prophecy work, and I... Well, it's uh, it's just badly worded. I, so the easiest way for me to ever make the prophecy work is that it was um, is that it's not what it said to begin with. That Dumbledore deliberately misinterpreted it, or deliberately um, he edited it, edited it. Yeah, but that's not what was originally said. Because it doesn't really make sense in context to what happened in the story. And that whole thing about that that the power that he knows not being love. I didn't interpret that that was the power he knows not. I assumed it was the master of death stuff. That's my headcanon. If there's a power he knows not, it was the master of death. It was not love. Because I and I will grant you that that 
that Voldemort didn't know love and that love can be a powerful driving force, but it's not like Harry hugged him to death. So how that contributed to his death makes no sense. Well, no, because the car's backfired again. Yeah. Which was that whole, I think, that whole master of death thing. The power he knows not, I always assumed, was something to do with the Deathly Hallows. Because Dumbledore put stock in the Deathly Hallows, but uh, except for the Elder Wand, um, Voldemort didn't really. At least that wasn't my read on it. But whether it was the master of death stuff or not, it was definitely the, the, the power he knows not was who mastered the elder one. There was something, I mean, that's what took him down, right? Um, is that he wasn't actually the master of that wand. So, but what did that have to do with love? Because as a disconnected concept, is love a powerful force? Yes. Does Voldemort know love? No. What does that have to do with his defeat? Nothing. <laughs> Just because there's two truisms doesn't mean that they have anything to do with the answer. Oh, I can't. No. I can't. Oh. I can't. Oh. I can't. I'm not repeating that for the podcast audience. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that is not a plot bunny. I don't know what that is. <laughs> that's plot that's psychosis. A plot, that's a plot. That's Tasmanian devil is what that is. Yeah, that that has a powerful screech and scares everything around it. That is beyond the pale. Do, <laughs> do not dare her to write that. Well, now one of us has got to fucking repeat it for the podcast. I vote for you. Besides, <laughs> uh, besides, besides, we are waiting on we're waiting on the vegetable death by Hobbit vegetable gun. That <laughs> potato so, gun. I'll read. I'll read it if. <sighs> okay, so Azure has a plot bunny where Harry has a head injury and he can only remember one spell and it's an orgasm extending spell. A half hour later, the world's scariest O-face and Valdi is dead in a puddle of, the chat room's moving, in a puddle of his own fluids and Harry has obliviated himself repeatedly. So, and then we're all horrified by that and Edie dares as to write it. She double dog dares. <laughs> That's just like... <laughs> it's as is really big blurb of text. It's the last full paragraph up above. And, <laughs> yeah. That's more horrifying than the unintentional... Dumbledore's a man whore thing that I was reading the other day. <laughs> it, 
And I it was unintentional. Huh? I blame Jude Law for that. You can imagine how many. <sighs> well, this was this was a typo, and it was repeat a repeated typo, and it was that it was um, that Dumbledore um, was it basically was saying that the story was basically saying that, that Dumbledore was uh, put on the appearance of being. <laughs> magnanimous and they and it was said that phrase was used repeatedly except it was spelled every single time as monogamous and so if Dumbledore is only appearing to be monogamous so so Dumbledore was only appearing to be monogamous and after like the third time I was giggling every time I saw it um, Dumbledore's apparent monogamy which if he's only apparently monogamous he's must be a man whore. Um, so I'm, you know, I've <laughs> got like horror, Dumbledore man whore in my head, and I just had to stop because I couldn't stop laughing. Um, the ugly thing so, yeah, is, when you, is that in the future we're going to get Jude Law as a young Dumbledore and Johnny Depp as a young Grindelwald, and we're going to be fucked. We're going to be fucked. And we're, Phantom's just going to be ruined. Phantom, come on. Come on, Phantom. Can I ask you not to do it? Can I? You won't. You will. You will. You're going to do it. You're going to ship it, because J.K. Rowling shipped it for us in advance, and it's all shipped, and there's going to be there's going to be stories, and fix it, fix, and and damn it, there's going to be, like, erotica and shit, and Jude Law so pretty, and it's just I can't. Or it'll be well, this, Dumbledore it'll just, and Newt. It'll just be. It'll just be the big thing we have to avoid. Another big thing we're avoiding in fandom. This is worse than the Wheezies. This is, this is worse. This is worse than Jenny. Just if you're gonna just embrace the darkness, though, make Dumbledore Dark Lord. They both go off and start slaughtering people left, right, and center, and get jiggy with it. I mean. I can't believe I just said get jiggy with it, but that's about right for that time period, I guess. That's hilarious. I just, yeah, it'll be terrible. Barb's not seeing Azure's posts. Hmm. I don't know why. I mean, I was thinking... I'm not sure if individuals have their own um, ban list. I mean, I can block people individually as a moderator. Um, but I don't know. Uh, yeah. It actually, it does physically hurt me that they cast Jude Law as Dumbledore. Um, because. I mean, good for Jude Law. It's a great career move, but come on. <laughs> Yeah, I've invested yeah. a lot of time making Dumbledore irredeemable, <laughs> or pointing out his irredeemability. And you realize that I mean, I've had that when I I knew nothing before I started working on my April Rough Trade. I knew nothing about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Um, I knew nothing. I didn't have any interest in it really. It just wasn't a piece of the franchise I was interested in picking up. I hadn't seen the movie. I hadn't read the book. It was it was a non-starter for me. And then I realized 
that those shenanigans that are going on are happening kind of in parallel to parts of my story. Not kind of, they are happening in parallel to my story. And that I needed to at least understand the timeline and would my story have impacted um, um, anything be impacted in Britain based upon what was going on over there um, or would the changes I'm making have made things fall out better for Britain. And I kind of wanted to have a feel for that. So I started doing some research. Um, I actually bought Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Um, did a little bit of reading. I haven't been too into it. But um, anyway, so in the course of that is, of course, when I discovered um, who the young Dumbledore and who the young Grindelwald were. And so that's right at the age. And then it, it's in my head, and I can't get it out. And that's the age that Dumbledore is when I'm writing a Leo Moto. So all these interactions were several from the meeting of him and I'm seeing Jude Law in my head and I'm like, I didn't need this. I I wanted I didn't need my head cannon being messed up this way. And I have to like do a try to do a mental face substitution. Um, so that I can be as dismissive of him as I would need to be because I really like Jude Law. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's fucking me up. Oh, yeah, they've definitely fallen out by the time of the movies. Um You know, the fact is, Dumbledore is just a dick, and we <laughs> just have to accept that Jude Law's playing a dick character. <laughs> You're probably at the I first mean, time. <laughs> yeah, Ray Fiennes played Voldemort, <laughs> so um, that was a brain bender for me when that casting was announced. I was like, "What, really?" He did a good job, right? But I like I mean, him. I, I mean, I've seen scenes on YouTube, and he looked good. I mean, he looked like what he was. He looked Voldy-ish. You know? Yeah, yeah. He, he looks like Snake Man. They did, they did an exceptional job of not making him of making that man. really attractive so. man look really unattractive. <laughs> yes. 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 But the funny thing is, in the movie, when they had. Um, the flashback scene where Dumbledore went to um, Tom Riddle's um, orphanage in 1937-ish um, time frame. Um, when they had that scene in the movie, they just took Michael Gambon and like made him look, tried to make him look younger. Now Dumbledore was realistically only like 45 or 50 years old at that time. I don't. I, I don't remember Dumbledore's exact birthday. I want to say Dumbledore was born in like 1891 or something like that. Maybe, no, it was earlier than that. 1881, maybe, 1881. Um, so Dumbledore wasn't that old in 1937. And yet they made this, took this old dude. So he shows up in that scene. So people's headcanon who'd seen the movies is, is basically Michael Gambon. Just they made him look younger and gave him a red beard and red hair. For that scene. And now they're throwing Jude Law at us. <laughs> it's, it's 
feel like it's such a reversal of what they did in that flashback scene where Dumbledore met Tom Riddle. It's, all, that it's a little bit jarring. I bet they really regret that they hadn't already cast a young Dumbledore at that point. <laughs> yeah. Like, damn it. Yeah. I don't know. I just um, I'm not on board. I'm I'm not I'm not on board with the shipping that's going to happen. It's you know, there's lots of disgusting things that happen in the Harry Potter fandom that I have to look over, like or overlook, and I'll just be another one of them. It'll be just like Snary. <laughs> just pretend like it's not happening. I mean, it's canon. We we've always accepted that those two were together when they were younger, but we just don't need a resurgence of resurgence of that romance. Yeah, and even in Harry Potter and the soulmate bond, I made them soulmates. I'm sure somebody is going to write a beautiful redemption fic where Dumbledore finds Grindelwald before he starts his blood purity war um, and and convinces him to stop the path he's on and they ride off into the sunset. I'm sure somebody's going to write it and I'm sure it'll be lovely. I just... I just don't want to read him in a rom- as a romantic lead. I'm sorry. Just there's my hard limit. Dumbledore can't. I don't want to read it. I don't want to know about it. So don't send me a link. Yeah. And don't send. Because sure enough, either. because yeah, if somebody <laughs> will hear us say this, and they'll find that beautiful story a year from now or two years from now, and go, oh, you know, I know you want to see this. I'm like, no, 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 we really no, don't. I don't. Nope. I don't need my headcanon corrupted. What's my safe word? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a complete sentence. Well, how did you phrase that? It's a complete sentence that... No is a complete sentence. It was more than that. Something like it's a complete sentence oh. that implies a ne- or that, that conveys a negative or something like that. It, it's it, how, what Hermione said to Molly. Uh, yes, it's a complete sentence that indicates a negative response. Yes, that's it. It's a complete sentence that indicates a negative response. Because one of my favorite, no, my, one of my favorite says, lines. What? <laughs> <laughs> all righty, gets all smarky. It was beautiful. Thank you. People don't like to be told no with no explanation. To no and or no but or no etc. But no is a complete sentence. You don't have to put anything on the end of that. And you don't owe any yeah. man, anybody, anybody an explanation. If you don't want to go out with somebody, no. And you don't owe them an a explanation. You don't want to go to the store, no. You no. don't want to go to get coffee, no. You don't want to give them it's your quite number? simple. No. <laughs> and the thing is, we're, we're trained to... Follow no, then I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry, but like you need to apologize for the no. Like you can't accommodate them, then you should apologize for that. It's just like, no. There's a scene in um, The Pocket Guardian, which you guys have not seen because I didn't post. Um, I'm not sure if I posted this or not. I'm, I'm on, I was going to tell a lie. I have no idea if I posted it or not. Where Hermione has a special book that she's borrowed from Harry, but no one knows she borrowed it from Harry. And it's basically 
a pocket library, and it's attached to the Hogwarts library. And they're, they've both been sorted into Ravenclaw. And one of the other kids asked to use her book, and she says, no, you can't use my, I think I call it a proxy library. Um, I promise I wouldn't let anybody use it. And he says, don't you want to help me? And she says, no. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to help you. Good for her. I remember. Say, I don't remember that. If I was the kind of person that would act against my own best interest and cripple myself, I'd be in Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> I forget how she said it, but that's how I said, nope. <laughs> but I hate that. Don't you want to help me? No. I don't. I have no interest in helping you. There was this lady who wanted me to alpha read her her book, and I told her no. This was about six months ago, and I had um, I had alpha read for her in the past, and um, she didn't listen to me, and she did what she wanted to do, and she, her book got rejected, and she got pissy about it, and. Unfortunately, she actually got a very detailed response for her rejection. And that's not something that you – and I just say unfortunately for me, actually, because um, the the person who rejected her book pointed out all the same shit I pointed out in my alpha read. Um, okay, and so she what – she was pissed at me. Now suddenly thought, huh? Pissed at me for being right. Ugh. And so she was all snotty about it, and um, and she said, "Well, I guess I just can't fit into their mold." You know, like it. I'm like, you know, every publisher has a box you have to get down into. This is what they publish. This is what they want. These are their expectations. You can either meet them or don't meet them. I told you what this publisher was looking for based on their guidelines. I told you how your book didn't fit and how you should rework it. You're not special. We did alpha read some of her, and I told her no. And she said, well, why not? I said, well, number one, because you don't listen to instruction, and that that means it would be a waste of my fucking time. And number two, although I didn't say it, your book was boring, and I don't expect this new on um, this new one to be any different. Now I'm not usually like that with writers, but she pissed me off. I don't. I, don't I mean, I been... go out of my way to to nurture other writers, but she 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 pushed my bitch button. I ain't gonna lie. I tried to show her the box that she needed to be in that I was um, limited and narrow as a writer. No, I could just follow instructions, <laughs> bitch. I can I read. I mean, if you submit the wrong thing for the, for the publisher you're submitting to, what in the world does anybody expect to be? <laughs> it's this actually is not really what frustrating she did, she... but this is an example of what she did. Um Say Quinn has a romance line that has a box you have to get into. 
say it's a silhouette desire box. That silhouette desire box has certain qualifications. It has to be this long. I think it used to be 45 or 50K. I'm not sure how much it is now. Um, so let's say that this Harlequin silhouette box, it's 45K. You have to write 45,000 words. And, and this is just an example. It's not what she actually did. Um, and in the Harlequin desire box, you have to have um, your hero and your heroine um, express their love for one another before there's a sex scene. And it can't be overly explicit, and you can't use the words cock or pussy or cunt. Um, Certainly no cunt, yeah. Your your hero isn't allowed to cuss your heroine, you know, say cuss words in front of your heroine. It's not, that's not the accurate principle of what desire. This is just an example. I don't want to get any emails from people. <laughs> with the current guidelines. I have no interest whatsoever in writing for Desire. That's why I don't know their current deadline um, guidelines. Um, but so her book was 75K. It had sex scenes before they barely knew their names, each other's names. They had a one-night stand and just completely in disregard for what Harlequin Desire ex- publishes and expects. That's kind of what she did to a different publisher in a different line with a different thing. It's just, it's, she just did not meet their guidelines anywhere. Um, and submitted to them anyway. Because apparently she's special and the guidelines don't apply to her. Because she's super talented and she can't be, she can't be contained in a box. I'm not bitter. Although I did spend um, three weeks on her um, alpha read. I think that's where the bitterness comes from is it's it's waste it's honestly the waste of time um people who don't want to improve and they don't actually want to um, do the do the things that writers have to do. I had a conversation with somebody recently about something they wanted to submit to a publisher, and I said it's too long. All I told them was it's too long I didn't Read read the book. I didn't read the book. They just told me about it. I said, it's too long for the submission. You need to shorten it by about, I think I think they needed to shorten it by 15,000 words, but it might have been 10. I don't really remember. Anyway, I suggested that they figure out what they could sacrifice and do it themselves. And I said, because if you, if they like your book, they said, well, what if, if, they'll, if they like the book, they'll take it. And I said, if they like the book, they'll take it, and your editor will find those 15,000 words, and you're much better off if assuming that they actually take it when it's too long, which is a gamble, but you're, if you're, if you, the editor cuts it, odds are you're not going to be happy. <laughs> so just do it yourself. Just figure out what 10,000 words or 10,000 words you don't like and get them out of there. I've known publishers who would not even open it. Who would open it and, or open the file and go, oh, look, this is 80K and I'm only reading up to 65. Close. Hey, Susie, would you send this asshole a rejection letter for me? Thanks. <laughs> Too long. Well, some people just assume that the publisher's going to, you know, see the awesomeness of their story and get over it, get over the idea. Um, the story that they're too long or too short or whatever. Um, but assuming you do that, assuming you get that far, assuming they're over, they're willing to go, okay, but we have to cut it down or whatever. If you won't do it, they will. 
and you'll be under contract to lose those words. And it hurts a lot more when somebody else is doing it. Yeah, I agree. You get those edits back and a whole page is redlined or two pages or ten pages. And it's like, what just happened? This is too long. The publisher wants me to take 15K from it. And I think all these scenes are um, unnecessary to your plot. And we don't care what you think. Because you wouldn't do it yourself. It's much less painful figuring out what you think is superfluous rather than being told that what somebody else thinks is superfluous. So, um, But odds are you're not going to get past submitting something that's too short or too long for the submission guidelines, especially if you're not an in-house author. Because why the hell would they waste their time reading your work if you can't follow instructions? Because for me, um, like, if you can't follow instructions on submissions, how can they expect you to follow instructions when you're in in editing? Are you going to be a pain in the ass in editing? Probably. Is it worth the risk? Probably not. Why should I waste my time and my money putting this together if they're going to be an asshole about it? Yeah, it would have to be solid fucking gold. Like, I, you'd have to look at it and go, wow, this is rock solid the way it is. And how often does that happen? Never. The thing is, every author, every author thinks they're that author. You know, at some point, they all think they're that author who they're gonna, their book is not going to get edited. It's going to come back with just a few typo corrections or whatever. Um, <laughs> and... It's just never the case. It's just never the case. Look, I, you know, I'm aware of my talent as a writer, but I have never gone into an editing experience expecting anything less than an anal probe, and I've never been disappointed. (laughs) Oh, that's good. (laughs) Okay, who's, who's getting all up in my junk today? And, you know, honestly, I've only ever protested when they want to change my word choices. I'm going to use the word cut whenever I want to, thank you, lady. And the only time they should protest is if it's against their style guide, which you would have known about ahead of time, and you would have used the word to begin with, so it would never come up. Right. I get married to my follow instructions. Yep. I don't like to. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest. I like to do shit my own way. I don't appreciate somebody else's instructions. But when you're writing professionally, you do what you got to do. Or you don't write professionally. But what I would say about writing fan fiction is um, you don't owe anybody an explanation for writing fan fiction. You also don't owe anybody an apology. And if you do publish or don't publish or whatever, if you publish and keep writing fan fiction, you don't know anybody uh, an explanation or an apology about that either. There are quite a few published writers who publish on a regular basis who keep writing fan fiction. And I don't personally think any moment you spend writing is a waste. I agree. 
even if you throw it out, even if you went, that is the worst thing I ever wrote, it is not a waste. Because you learn. A A negative result is still a result. You know, if you never do the experiment, you've never learned anything. Well, we can't run this experiment. I mean, if science worked that way, we would get nowhere if scientists took that approach. Because a negative result is a valid result to scientists because it proved it proved this is a way not to do this, which they need to know. It's a vital part of the process of discovery. Um, and there are ideas I've had where I've like I have now I'm up to like idea I'm up to twelve different ways not to implement that idea. <laughs> now I know. But, you know, that's a, that applies across the board. As I said, like I said, that you like to kill people, and then you owe some people some explanations and probably some apologies, too. But if there's something that you enjoy, fan art, fan fiction, knitting, um, walks in the park, bird watching, uh, spying on your neighbors. I'm kidding. Don't don't spy on your neighbors. Um, unless they're in their front yard. That's a gateway crime. In their fair game. Right. That's just awesome. Um, their that's fair game. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Gossip, you don't owe anybody an explanation, and you don't owe anybody an apology for the things that you enjoy. Reading Unless fandom, reading switch. fan fiction, right, right. You're gonna fucking apologize to me if you bait and switch me. If you tell me we're going for a walk, <laughs> and what we're really and what we're really doing is sitting still so that you can photograph the 500th flower, that's a bait and switch. You owe me an apology. <laughs> That sounds like a personal experience. <laughs> Very specific. Never go for no, a nature I'm... walk with a family of photographers. It it never actually, there's not much walking happening. <laughs> I'm just saying that people are embarrassed by their participation in fandom, and, and you have no reason to be embarrassed. None. If you enjoy yeah, it, yeah, you may... that's yours. They don't, they don't have the right to disparage it or take it away from you. Now, you may choose not to talk about it because you don't want to get into it, but don't confuse not talking about it um, with shame. Because I I don't talk about, like, fandom stuff because people do not get it. People who aren't in it don't get it. You can try to explain it all day, and believe me, I've tried. (laughs) They don't get it. They do not get it. And if they don't, fandom's like one of those things, either you get it or you don't. And it's sort of like, you know, there are some of like some obscure hobbies, you know, like upcycling and stuff. It's like people who don't get it. There's why try to explain it to them. Just do your thing and enjoy it, and don't try to explain it to the people who do not understand why you're dumpster diving. Okay, do your thing, have fun. Not everybody's gonna get it, and that's the same thing with fan fiction. Is when you know somebody's not gonna get it, there's just no point in talking about it because. It's not a conversation when somebody's just sitting there with a befuddled look on their face. So you just go, mm. yeah, and you know, it's just I don't know. It's it's so annoying that when you encounter someone who doesn't understand fandom, who has no interest in understanding fandom, but who sits there and tries to judge you for for what you enjoy, and I'm like, no, fuck you. Yeah, 
Yeah, and some of these people, there's one person I talked to, this guy, we tried to explain fandom to him. This was this was back in my X-Files days. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and what he did with his evenings was troll people on Usenet groups. You know, this is like pre-Reddit days, right? So... He, um, that's what he did with his evenings. I'm like, well, I don't understand that. I mean, basically, he spent his whole evening giving people his opinion because, you know, he felt like he really needed to give people his opinion. So spending your whole evening giving people his, his, his considered opinion, his considered learned opinion in his mind, was a more valid use of time than... He was mansplaining before mansplaining was defined. Yeah. <laughs> so... It's just some people just are just, you know, usually people ask me, what are your hobbies? I'm like, oh, I'm involved in several groups who talk about, you know, current entertainment, media, music, movies, books, whatever. Whatever's interesting that people are into, we talk about it, porn about it. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly right, porn about it. But, you know, I I just, I don't. I don't. um, I don't make excuses. I don't. I don't make um, explanations anymore. I'm like, you know what? This is what I do, and you don't got to you don't got to understand it. You don't got to participate in it, and I don't have to discuss it with you. I'm not required to give you information. Google that shit. Yeah. Well, I had I had a very bad experience at a um, at a. Um, Oh boy, am I, a con at a at a at a at a convention where um, somebody said something very inappropriate to an actor um, because they did not understand the way fandom works. Uh, they were just they were going along to this thing with me because the person who was supposed to be going to this convention with me um, backed out, so they thought it would be fun and we're kind of going and they're going to you know check out fandom stuff and whatever was going on at the con, and they made a very inappropriate comment to an actor. Um, about the stuff I wrote about that person's character. Um, I am dying of secondhand embarrassment as I sit here. It was terrible. Uh, I was horrified. I was horrified. And I, like, hustled them out of there. I was like, what is wrong with you? Why would you say that to that man? He didn't He didn't do anything. Um, the comment was made to Nick Lee, who played Alex Krychek on The X-Files. And I mm-hmm. just died I just died and um, because of that I do not explain fandom to people who don't get fandom so it's not it's just it's just a case of you need to not I'm not going to give you opportunities to stick your foot in your mouth and embarrass me ever again so um, either they get it or they don't um, Otherwise, we're talking about current trends in entertainment and media. But, you know, some people know I write fan fiction. I mean, I, that's, that's not hidden from most of, most of the people close to me. But, yeah, I don't, I don't the uninitiated, you know, I don't discuss it because I'm never having that experience again, ever. Mm-mm. I'm going to tell you bitches right now, if you're ever at a con and you were to approach an actor and ask them if they read my work and I found out about it, I would find out where you live, come to your house and whoop your ass. No, you've got it coming. 
I will go all Liam Neeson on you. I will find you. Because I she has a very I, I'm, I'm she has a very specific skill set. <laughs> I just I can just can't I just can't the idea of it. I would hate to see an actor asked about any fan fiction, and that's how I would out myself at a con because I would be like, moderator, <laughs> why you doing your fucking job? Come here. <laughs> I actually, I get fear. I get furious at talk show hosts who bring up fan fiction and fan art to actors. It, it enrages me because it puts them, the actors, in a very uncomfortable position. Because it's not the actors, except for those, the RPF thing that I can't even wrap my head around. It is not the actors who are being written about. It is characters, right? So, And I have no problem maintaining that, that boundary and- in my mind. It puts them in a position of actually unintentionally, unintentionally insulting their own fans. Right. And I well, think they have most to actors are sens- fan fiction. Or just- Even if they don't like it, they kind of, I think most actors are savvy enough these days to realize they have to be a little bit careful about how they talk about what their fans do because they don't want their fans to turn on them. Fans are kind of fickle. So you just you just don't put somebody in that kind of position, and you don't bring up, you know, gay sex to, or any kind of sex, to. But especially at that time, um, gay, you know, bring it, you know, the whole gay sex thing, and was really like a taboo topic. And um, to bring that up to an actor was like, I was like, why would you do that? Why would you put him on the spot that way? What's the matter with you? Were you raised in a barn? Do we even so have are raised by uncivilized wolves? <laughs> What's the matter with you? Well, he must be. He said, then the comment was, he must be used to that. Really? Would you be used to it? So, you know, I'm like I just be careful about going around to fandom type things with people who don't get fandom because they, they think of it as a joke is the issue. They think of it as something that they can mock and make fun of. And, um, and that they'll just make everybody uncomfortable and say horrible things. Not that fans themselves won't say horrible things, but at least, you know, I don't know. At least they won't be embarrassing me personally. Look, fandom is like Fight Club. (laughs) That's right. Don't talk about fandom. I just, I, it's just really, it's just, it's, it's enough. It's enough that I would probably never actually be able to go to a con because I would out myself. I would, I would, fucking lose it during a Q and A. I just, I mean, I just, I can't. I. You have to stay like, to yeah, is that you? <laughs> yeah, that's me, actually. Hey. <laughs> Come here and help me subdue this asshole. <laughs> that's the funny thing is, is I've got millions that totally would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get his feet. <laughs> We're going to get him out of here. <laughs> Okay, y'all, live with your knees. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, I got myself tickled. <laughs> Can you help me hide a body is our theme song. It really is our theme song. Everybody have it on your phones. You know, get that song on your phones so that, you know, you can play it for, for like, mood music when you guys are hauling out the, the newly dead dude who was inappropriate on the panel. <laughs> Pardon us, Mr. Downey. We'll be right back, and there won't be any more questions about Captain America and butt sex. <laughs> <laughs> we promise. <laughs> Just let, let's, let, let's get rid of this guy. We'll be right back. It's just so ugly. It it's just Yeah, Norton has no boundaries. I mean they you know, a lot of the actors ask him not to do pull his shenanigans and he still goes and finds the most embarrassing thing he can find for these actors to have to react to on his show. It's just really... You know, fan um, artists should dedicate themselves to creating stuff for actors to use against him. Oh, that would be... That's brilliant. That is brilliant. You know, Tyler, when, when actors get mad at Graham Norton for springing fan art at them all the time, and like we could create a whole Tumblr dedicated to it. Y'all need oh, yeah. art yeah. to fuck up Graham Norton. You let us know. What would you like to see? We'll find an artist to make it for you. Would you like some accompanying fan fiction? Because <laughs> <laughs> Azure has a really good cracky idea about an O spell. <laughs> we can apply would it Would you like to see Graham Norton as a centaur taking it from Voldemort? <laughs> <laughs> we can make that happen, Martin. Let us know. <laughs> this is fandom punishing Graham Norton for all of his inappropriateness. I'm not a big fan of RPS, but I'm willing to make an exception for you, Graham. Oh, that's a good, so Claire pointed out that he was actually in some movie or show or something, so you can, so you have to be about him, the person, it can be about this character of him, Father Ted. And that's the only way he's going to learn a lesson. Yeah, the (laughs) whole priest thing, that's just rife with plot ideas, isn't it? Be some interesting confessional time for you, Father Ted. (laughs) (laughs) Operation Payback, Graham Norton. (laughs) I wouldn't go on his show anymore if he did something like that to me. If I explicitly asked him not to do it, he did it anyway. I wouldn't go on a show ever again. Well, he almost treats the request like like doubling, like double dog daring him to do it. 
So the fan, it's just, it's really horrible to just confront people. So, you know, it's one thing, but then he's also done stories. He's had excerpts of stories read on the show. It's terrible. We should turn Graham Norton into one of Aberhorst's goats. Okay, I'm down. He got stuck in his animagus transformation. <laughs> We're putting you put in an Harry Potter. Pen. Father Ted. <laughs> I'm just saying. We need to have our actors back. If they're going to go on Graham Norton, they need ammunition. <laughs> we need to. You can even ping actors that are going on the show. There is a Tumblr now to punish Graham Norton for all of his mis- his bad behavior towards our favorite actors. So in the event that he springs one of his surprise, this is what fandom is doing, saying about you, moments. We have the we have we have curated <laughs> a selection this of Tumblr short just and art. for you. For you. <laughs> Play bitch games, win bitch prizes. That's all I'm saying. I would totally write a bunch of shorts about. Um, um, well, I, I actually watch, can't say that I would. I would watch Father Ted just so I could write. <laughs> There would be naughtiness. The thing is, yeah, he's not I been were, quoting I, this kind of response for over a decade, so I don't know. What, I, I would hope he wouldn't be surprised if it actually happened. Maybe he's hoping it happens. Maybe he wants to be the target of fandom. I don't know. But if I were, if I were in the, if I were, if I were disposed to RPF, I would totally write RPF of him like wanking off to fan fiction about whatever actor was going to be on his show that night. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> oh, this fan art's really hot. <laughs> I think I need to lock my dressing room door. <laughs> oh, thanks, oh, Claire. That's that's. That's unfortunate. I'm not sure I could actually write porn about that. Just, hmm. Well, you this in this case, since it's trolling, it doesn't. You don't actually have to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, true, true. This this is where the spite matters more <laughs> than anything else. I do thrive on spite. That you do. I looked up um, because we were talking about it. Because, you know, it, sometimes it doesn't matter if something's mentioned. I just get curious and go look. Um, <laughs> I went and looked what the submission um, guidelines are for Harlequin Desire these days. 
Uh, it's quite different than what it was in the 80s, which is about when I was reading Harlequin Desires, uh, early 80s, I will say, mid-80s. Um, and one of the, one of the top um, things they look for that they must have is that it should sweep the reader into a wealthy world with detail, details about parties, houses, and clothing. And I went, nope, nope, hard no. Right, the octopus getting on getting on the nope train. Fuck that. <laughs> what, how many words? Fifty k. How am I supposed to tell a story when I'm too busy describing the the the, the landscape in fifty k? Yeah, and everybody needs to be wealthy. Apparently, apparently that's the thing. Everybody needs to be wealthy. That's that's their backdrop. Is Harlequin Desire should take place against dramatic backdrop of wealthy settings and sweeping family sagas. The billionaire secret baby, right there. There you go. Um, dramatic soap opera-like story. The number one thing, the number one thing on the list is intense, dramatic soap opera-like storylines. Secret babies, affairs. That's a big departure. No no paranormal or romantic suspense elements. Um, Well, I can't be writing for them because I got to kill people. I mean, I, you know, I'm not happy unless I have a body count. I'm just saying. A fictional one. Now, with all of this, now with all of this, including all the sizzling sexual tension and romance hooks and sweeping worlds and parties and houses and clothing and money. Um, we want belie- characters with believable motivations. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's something and that you know I mean that's good I think it's good to read submission guidelines for something for something you want before you go down that path because for me as, as a romance writer reading this I would know these are not the kind of romances I would ever write because I am never going to write even if I wrote a wealthy world with parties and houses and clothes I'm not going to describe in rich detail the parties the houses and the clothes because I don't like giving up words about plot and character to details about houses and clothing. That's and the I really way don't I care what color the dude's shirt is. I mean, you know. Right. I, that's just not what I care about as a reader or a writer. Now, some people really like that, so that would be a good imprint for them. If you really like describing it and you like that kind of setting, that could be really good. And it sounds like they're a little bit more sizzling than they were, you know, 30 years ago, um, which makes sense. Everybody's progressed in that way. Uh, so you, you never know where you might, what might be a good imprint for you. This, based upon the kinds of things I like to write, I can tell that like more than half of their submission criteria doesn't work for me. So it wouldn't be including, as a romance writer. Including the word count. <laughs> yeah, uh, 50,000 words, what the hell? Look, if I'm going to be describing the house, the car, the clothes, the fashion elements, I'm going to need more than 50K. <laughs> like, you guys wanted all these detail words. What the hell? I wasted all these words on clothes. Just, you're going to get more, you're going to have to, and the thing is, the more words I put into things like clothes, I'm going to need a lot more words in plot to compensate. <laughs> so. I need a little room to flex here because that's not working for me. 
Now, I have, I've been criticized by readers before. There's not enough detail for them in my stories. Setting detail. Details about setting. Yeah, I have too. And, and if that's what they want, I'm not the writer for them. And that's fine. It doesn't mean I'm flawed, and it doesn't mean that they're flawed. It's funny. It's like people go into a situation where somebody's not happy, and they think that they're going to come up to the, the, the end of the, the resolution to somebody not being happy is that somebody is wrong. That's not, that's, that's, not, that's not even usually the case. Sometimes people just don't like something. Just because you don't like something doesn't mean the person who created it is wrong. Just because you don't like bacon doesn't mean there's something wrong with pigs. You know, I mean, you just don't like bacon. I don't know what's wrong with you because you don't like bacon, but there's nothing wrong <laughs> right? with pigs. I was like, wait, there's something wrong with them if they don't like bacon. I mean, you know, <sighs> come on now. Bacon's its own food group where it should be. There was this restaurant in San Francisco that um, got so many complaints about the smell. It's smell. It stunk. People were tired. The neighbors were tired of smelling it. That They needed to work on their ventilation. They needed to filter their air better. Bitch, 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 bitch. And it was nonstop. And the, and the neighbors kept calling the health inspector, and the health department kept showing up. And um, do you know what sent this, this place? This place basically all they cook everything that their their specialty is bacon. All day long, this restaurant is cooking bacon to put in desserts to put it, everything bacon. They put bacon in every dish. There's not a dish on the menu that doesn't have bacon. So the scent that everybody was losing their fucking minds over was bacon cooking all day. There's nothing actually more delicious in the world than smelling bacon uh, cooking. Right. If there is, I, mean, I don't know about it. Is, all you need is a coffee roasting company right next to it, and it's like nirvana. What is right? wrong with these people? Oh, oh, like a coffee roaster, a bacon restaurant, and a bread store. A bakery. I, I would pay extra to live on that corner and sniff that all right? day. But these right? people just could not stop complaining about having to smell bacon all day. I was like, oh, the West Side feels so bad for you. It's not like you live next to the city. And I, I lived across this. I lived across the freeway from the landfill at the time, so I was particularly unsympathetic. Bastard. I was like, shut up. <laughs> You're bitching about your bacon? Guess what's across the freeway? Let's just hope the wind doesn't go our direction today. Those birds that we can see from here, that's the county landfill. Wow. I moved. <laughs> but still, <laughs> that was, that's where I remember. I remember that's where I was living when I was hearing about the bacon debacle. And it, it was actually so astonishing that people, that it was written up in, in, the, new, in the newspaper, and people were bitching about the smell of bacon. And, and nobody could understand it. It was like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> that, this, that this is the well, and that this is the biggest thing they have to complain about. But the thing is, there's somebody out there who doesn't like bacon, but it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the pig. But we kind of have this mentality that we're when we're unhappy, that there's a flaw that somebody needs to apologize for, account for, change, fix. So if somebody reads my work and they're not happy with it, they're not ha- happy trying to Im- having to imagine the house for themselves or having to imagine the clothes or whatever. Um, and so they, they think there's something wrong with the work. Um, but that's not, that's, the, 
that's a false equivalency. Just because you're unhappy doesn't mean that there's a problem. You just need to go find something else to read. I don't need to change what I'm writing. So bear that in mind when people criticize you, is that just because they're unhappy doesn't necessarily mean there's a problem. Now, you might actually have a legitimate problem, but just somebody's unhappiness is no, indica- no indicator of that because people are perpetually unhappy. It's what they do best. <laughs> I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I sometimes I want to go, you are a master of misery. <laughs> is there anything that makes you happy? No. Okay. How does it feel to be constantly miserable? I would I would really I don't want to know actually. Never mind. I forgot forget I asked. I made a mistake. I don't want to get that mistake. crazy. Some crazy you just don't want to get that invested in. I think a lot of times people who troll are just so miserable that they want other people to be as miserable as they are. So they set out true. to make people unhappy and hurt because they're unhappy and hurt. And they don't think anybody deserves to be happy if they're not happy. Which is and pitiful. what we do, what we do with those people is we just hit the delete button. Just delete. hit delete. Delete, delete, delete. There are some people, and I'm sure everybody's known somebody like this, that it doesn't matter what the situation is. There's people who just, they're, we've talked about the people who feel like their only contribution is their opinion, and so they have to give it. Um, but aside from that, there are people who, and we all have this person in our life that no matter, no matter where you go, what the food is, what the service was like, they've got to have something to bitch about, something to make them unhappy, something to focus a criticism on. Um, and if you don't know somebody like that, you don't get out much because these people are not actually that few and far between where there's always some caveat. They can't just say, I enjoyed the movie. They can't just say, I enjoyed the meal. They can't just say, I had a good time. There's something they can say. That, there's something they have to point out that could be better, something that could have been done better, something that would have, you know, they'd have enjoyed it more if this had happened. It's like they can't just be happy. I hate those kinds of people. I hate to go out with them. It's I hate maddening. to eat. I'm like, no, I can't. I can't because you're an asshole and I don't have time for that right now. <laughs> it's like, could you stop bitching for five seconds? You know, I mean, going out to dinner with people like that is so frustrating because everything can be absolutely great. And I'll be like, oh, well, she could have brought, you know, refilled my water a little bit faster. It's like, shut up what world do you live in where you get everything perfect I mean what 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 metric do you have for what constitutes a good evening because I am so tired of your bitching
I dated a, a man once. We went out on three dates, and he was uh, annoying on date one. I'm like, okay, maybe he's just nervous, you know, and he's, you know, he's not doing well. And okay, we'll just we'll see how it goes. The next day, he's a little more annoying, and I'm thinking, you know what, this is a waste of my time. But the food was good. Um, and then the third time, <laughs> I was like, um, he was just being a dick, and I, I. Uh, to the server, and I told him to stop, and he said, well, I'm paying for this meal. I said, no, I'm paying for this. Shut the fuck up. There's absolutely nothing wrong with your food. There's nothing wrong with mine. Our drinks are full. You're being a jackass. So I'm really glad I drove myself here. If you're not happy with your food, put it in a box and take your ass on. He put it in a box and and took his ass on. Good and that you. was the last day. No. I was just, I can't stand it. I can't. You don't need to be an asshole. Actually, being an asshole to a server is like a surefire way to end the date early. That's it. No. I just don't tolerate that kind of crap from anybody. My 90-year-old granny, if you know, if she was still alive, if she'd been an asshole to a server... I'd have I'd have taken her task right then and there. I'd be like, Craig, what is the matter with you? And there wasn't much that I yelled at my grandmother about, but I'd have yelled at her about that because it's just completely inexcusable behavior. He this was when I had I remember it specifically because I had AOL and he messaged me on AOL and Asked me why I was so mail. unreasonable at dinner, and I told him I wasn't unreasonable at dinner, that he was a dick face or something to that effect, and that um, I didn't want him to contact me anymore because I don't have time for um, for men who don't know how to behave in public. Because <laughs> I don't, even now. I expect you by this age to have figured out how to. I'm not your mama. I'm not going to teach you how to be a good person. It's honestly probably not even possible. No, I don't find people who behave like that. They they rarely change. It happens sometimes, but not often. <sighs> people suck. People suck. People suck. People suck. This really was a really random conversation. <laughs> it was. Me it was. Our way but yeah, I mean, just, you know... Um, just just keep in mind that that you don't owe anybody an explanation. You're not required to explain yourself unless you know you're in court or you've been arrested by the FBI because you're not supposed to lie to federal law enforcement. Um, <laughs> you can lie to regular cops, but if you lie to a fed, that's actually a crime. So be careful. <laughs> owe anybody 
an explanation for the things that you do and that you enjoy. It's that simple. You don't have to engage in that debate or that discussion, and you don't have to tolerate somebody's toxic opinion. Um, you just don't. Because no is, in fact, a complete sentence that indicates a negative <laughs> Just print that out and tape it to your computer. Remind yourself on a regular basis you don't owe anybody, and you don't owe an explanation for your no. Just saying. And I'm writing well, or I'm knitting or I'm making soap are all perfectly legitimate things that you don't have to apologize for. Truly, you don't have to apologize. And and anybody that would expect you to apologize isn't worth your damn time anyway. We're down to 46 seconds. Julie, say goodnight. Good night, everyone.